You are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into another episode of Locked On Saints, your daily podcast covering the New Orleans Saints, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On today's episode, we're going to continue on with our breakdown, getting a little bit more in-depth for the New Orleans Saints opening preseason action against the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to start off with the quarterback competition and tell you who I think the winner was between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Then we're going to jump back over to the defensive side, shout out some of the players that stood out that we didn't get to talk about in our post-game podcast, including, of course, Marcus Davenport, who absolutely feasted on that Baltimore Ravens offensive line. And then we're going to wrap up with some roster move updates. New Orleans Saints have until Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time to cut down to 85, but it looks like they've made the cuts already. We already know who some of those names are. So we're going to cover all of that on today's episode. And as always, I'm your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter, co-managing editor over at CanalStreetChronicles.com, your Tuesday co-host over on the National Locked On NFL podcast. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked On Saints, your team every day. All right, family, as we kick off today's episode, we're going to start off with getting a little bit more granular when it comes to the quarterback conversation, the competition between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. And listen, I get it. Taysom fans want Taysom to win. Jameis fans want Jameis to win. But my job is to be objective and to take a look at the uh, the tape, basically. And so I did. I broke down all 12 of each of these quarterbacks throws, and I took a look at three different elements, the first of which being sort of on-target versus off-target throws, so looking at accuracy. The second one being turnover-worthy throws, which is not necessarily the same. We'll draw our delineation there. And then we'll take a look at some of the other bits, which include field progression, which include command of the huddle, which include momentum. So these other pieces that I also want to take a look at with these quarterbacks that don't show up on the stat sheet. Now, again, I'm going to do my best not to have a bias here. I've been very clear about who it is that I think should win this quarterback competition but let's just right now talk about what we observed. So as I looked at all 12 of the throws from each of these quarterbacks, I found that both of the quarterbacks threw four off-target throws and eight on-target throws each. So in terms of accuracy from a sort of broad perspective, both of them ended up in the same place. However, you do want to look at the degree of these off-targets and what they led to, and that's where I think Jameis Winston gets the edge. I have three of these passes on Taysom's side that were egregiously off target, and then only two on the Jameis Winston side. For Taysom, there was the throw behind Latavius Murray, which you just have to be able to make. I know that he was under pressure, but that's and the the pocket was breaking down, but that's exactly what that route is there for. You complete that pass, Latavius Murray has nothing but green grass in front of him at an easy first down, and potentially saves you from the very next play, which is the next off target throw that I want to talk about, the interception on the target to Ty Montgomery. Yes, Ty Montgomery stopped short. Arguably, Ty Montgomery should have stopped short because it was zone coverage. But all in all, regardless, an overthrow is almost always going to at least get a a hand on it by some defensive back. Overthrows like that are more likely to be intercepted than some of the other passes that we see out there. So you simply can't let that happen. And I understand that it was a miscommunication, We're going to talk about miscommunications here in a little bit because there's a little bit of a command of the huddle situation there. Am I going to hold this entirely against Taysom Hill? No, not at all. But do I hold it still in a kind of off-target and turnover-worthy throw category? Yeah, I do. I do. 
And I get that it was, again, I get that it was a miscommunication, but those are the types of passes that you cannot make. The next thing that we're going to talk about is Jameis, excuse me, Taysom Hill's next turnover worthy throw. And again, we're going to come back turnover worthy throws here in a moment. But the near interception that he threw to Marquez Callaway over on the right side that was behind and low gave the defensive back an opportunity to be able to make a play on that. You put that outside, sort of where Drew Brees would usually put it, outside toward the sideline. You give Marquez Callaway a better chance to be able to make a play on that ball and then not force him to turn into a defensive back, instead to knock the ball away from the actual cornerback that nearly intercepted that pass. So actually, Marquez Callaway didn't even get the opportunity to knock it away from him. The cornerback just simply didn't make the play. The other off-target throw that I have, the fourth one from Taysom Hill, I don't really count against him or I don't, I'm not going to count it because it was high for Lil Jordan Humphrey, but he still made that catch. I have a similar situation with Jameis Winston. Now let's talk about Jameis Winston's four off-target throws and which ones were the most egregious for me. The first throw was very egregious to me. And we can maybe give him the benefit of the doubt here. It was his first throw since the San Francisco game last year, but the throw was very much behind Nick Vanette. And that's a throw that should be a little bit simpler to make for an NFL quarterback. So yes, I consider that an egregiously off-target throw. Uh, Alex Arma, another target on the right sideline. That one was low to him. I thought that one was on Jameis. No pressure, nothing like that. No, Nothing that really rushed him there. Just simply didn't put that pass where it needed to be. Those are my two sort of egregiously off-target throws. Here are the other two off-target throws for Jameis Winston. The first one being a throw that was behind Chris Hogan on a quick slant during the two-minute drill. I don't put that one on Jameis Winston as much. I don't put it in the egregious category because Chris Hogan was still able to make the catch and pick up five yards, just like Lil Jordan Humphrey was able to make the high catch, the, the, sorry, was able to make the catch on the high throw from Taysom Hill for six yards in our earlier portion of the conversation. So I even those out and I kind of just move them away. They're offsetting penalties. Now, the last throw that I want to talk about is Jameis Winston's underthrow to Lil Jordan Humphrey. They got punt that kind of got tipped in the air and then intercepted by the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Do I call that one a turnover-worthy throw? We'll come back to that. Do I consider it an off-target throw? Yes. I still consider it an off-target throw. It was underthrown. Should it have been uh, a yard ahead, a yard inside, whatever, give Lil Jordan Humphrey the, uh, an opportunity to make a play on the ball without giving the defensive back an opportunity to make a play on the ball? Sure. Do I consider it turnover worthy, however? No, I do not. I simply do not. I don't think that that pass gets intercepted as often as Taysom Hill's overthrow and miscommunication with Ty Montgomery gets intercepted. That's my biggest takeaway when it comes to looking at the turnover worthy por uh, portion of this, right? The off target throws, I give the edge to Jameis Winston there. The turnover worthy throws, I very much give the edge to Jameis Winston because to me, there were two turnover worthy passes by Taysom Hill. The overthrow that was intercepted, which again, I understand was a miscommunication, but that pass is going to get intercepted when you overthrow a receiver like that. That's going to happen. So you have to not make that throw. And then in the other hand, being the, uh, the pass that was low and behind uh, Marquez Callaway on the right sideline that almost got the right pass that almost got intercepted. Those are the two turnover-worthy throws. For me, Jameis Winston did not have a turnover-worthy throw in this game. Did he have an off-target throw that was underthrown? Yes, absolutely. But did he throw a pass that was turnover-worthy? Not in my opinion. Now, maybe you disagree, but that's how I feel watching that play over and over and over again. So I give the edge there to Jameis as well when it comes to turnover-worthy throws. So, so far, 2-0 to o over our three categories. So Jameis Winston, for me, clearly the winner of the day. But let's take it a step further. Let's take a look at uh, some of the other things that don't show up on the stat sheet. Let's talk about field progressions. Consistently, consistently, 
Taysom Hill only used one half of the field. For me, there were only four passes or four plays, excuse me, in which Taysom Hill went beyond his first read. Only one time did he go beyond his second read. Three of his off-target passes were times that he went beyond his first read. That's not good news. That means the longer that he's holding on to the ball, the less likely it is that he's going to be able to deliver an accurate pass as he's reading through his progressions and therefore probably feeling the clock ticking. That's a composure issue. When it comes down to Jameis Winston, there are actually only four passes that I saw him throw to his first read, several times that I see him go to his second or third read. Command of the huddle, momentum, things like that. I thought Taysom did a fantastic job in the opening drive. That is a quintessential part of Sean Payton's offense, the scripted first 15. I thought that Taysom did a great job there in all of his connections with Marquez Calloway, who had like 61 of Taysom Hill's 62 yards to open up the game. On the other side, we saw Jameis Winston get to run the two-minute drill, again, a quintessential part of Sean Payton's scheme and a place where Sean Payton really excels. We saw him be able to run Sean Payton's scheme very well there and cap off that drive with a touchdown. So that's why I give Jameis Winston the edge, and I give Jameis Winston the edge on the day which shouldn't surprise anybody to hear because I said the same thing in the post-game podcast as well, but I wanted to make sure that I went a little bit deeper into this, looked at more finite details, more finite granular information. All right, family, y'all know that betting on the preseason is not my thing, so instead I've taken a look at some of the futures odds over on betonline.ag and put some money down over there for MVP, comeback player of the year, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. There've been a lot of players that have been very intriguing over the course of all this. And the funny thing is you can bet on a favorite and still walk away with some cash if you end up winning come what January when those uh, awards are announced. So go and check out everything that betonline.ag has to offer when it comes to the NFL. You can also look at the MLB. You can look at the WNBA getting getting started again here soon, as well as the NBA season. You can get ahead of some things before the season begins on October 19th as well. So, so much to check out over at betonline.ag and so much for you to earn over there as well, because we'll give you a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code locked on when you put down your very first deposit. So go create an account. Use that promo code locked on L O C K E D O N so you can get a 50% welcome bonus over at betonline.ag with your very first deposit. It's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Huda Nation, continuing on with today's episode of Locked On Saints. But wait, if you have some fantasy football questions that you want to ask, don't miss our live fantasy football show on Wednesday, just in a couple of days at 9 p.m. Eastern time over in the Locked On NFL podcast. Get your questions asked before the fantasy football season gets underway. So I want to start by talking or I want to continue on today's episode. Talk about the defensive side now. We shouted out a bunch of players on uh, the Sunday post-game show. We talked about Zach Bond. We talked about Paulson Adebo. We talked about Caden Ellis and a few other players that stood out. But I want to make sure that I circle back around to the defensive line because the defensive line looked really good on Saturday or during Saturday's action, not the least of which being Marcus Davenport. He had five total pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, two tackles, and was credited with two run stops as well. And he was absolutely demolishing offensive linemen ahead of him. I mean, he had moments where he stunted toward the inside, blew up guys on the interior. His speed to power conversion, the reason that he was drafted, that big trait, the length, all of that, absolutely a part of what you saw in his, I guess you could say, in the resume that he's building throughout camp. And then it all came out on the football field going up against this Baltimore Ravens offensive line, which has been in flux all season. But again, 
Not every offensive line across the NFL is as good as the one in Indianapolis or in Los Angeles or in Green Bay or in New Orleans, right? What what you saw these defensive linemen go up against in Baltimore is not far away from what you're going to get with the majority of NFL teams because offensive line talent is so scarce across the league. So when you see Marcus Davenport get an opportunity to go up against inferior talent, quote unquote, then you want to see him kind of go wild and go and be outrageous and get these pressures. And you saw that from him in this game. He was an absolute just terror for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And not only again in the pass rush game, but also in the run game where he made a couple of stops. There was one particular run that actually ended up getting blown up by, I think it was Jalen Dalton, but uh, Marcus Davenport did a phenomenal job climbing the line of scrimmage laterally to get in and be able to help to finish the play. It's that type of motor that you like to see. All of that is a part of what you want to see from Marcus Davenport. Of those five pressures, he had one hit on the quarterback and then four hurries, but even still, you'll take what you're getting in terms of the pressures. And uh, Marcus Davenport said before the season, doesn't really care about the sack numbers, doesn't really care about the numbers. He just wants to focus on getting after the quarterback and being disruptive. That's exactly what he was on Saturday. And speaking of being disruptive, you saw it from all along the line of scrimmage when it came to David Onyemata. David Onyemata played a very interesting game for what we're accustomed to seeing from him. According to Pro Football Focus's stat counts, David Onyemata played 17 of his 22 snaps from the left end position. <laughs> so he was rushing off the edge quite a bit in this game. Uh, Sean Payton kind of clarified that afterwards, mentioned that because they were down players on the defense on the, at the defensive end position, that they ended up playing David Onyemata there so they could keep their rotation going. And of course, the, you know, the Saints didn't play Cam Jordan. You didn't have Peyton Turner. And uh, Tono Passigno ended up having to leave the game after he kind of got busted up in the face. And so I think with all of that, that's why you saw David Onyemata playing on the edge. I don't think it's something you're going to see translate over to the regular season, but it was fun to see. And he was very disruptive regardless of where you put him. He had, uh, I think you can credit him with two sacks in this game. He had one where Trace McSorley tried to come up the middle and sort of yeah, it was a bit of a, a scramble. You might call it a draw. So maybe it went down as a run play, but a nice tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Then he had another one to where Trace McSorley tripped and he was able to just touch him down essentially. But I, I think David Onyemata had a great game, four total pressures in this one, and also had several run stops as well. Uh, did a great job blowing up a ton of things going on for the Baltimore Ravens offense. And the other guy that I want to shout out is friend of the podcast. We've had him here on the show a couple of times. Kate Nellis played 30 total snaps graded with an 84.3 overall grade by Pro Football Focus. Uh, you saw him play six snaps down as a pass rusher. Didn't get any pressures, but did help to bring the heat a little bit, causing Baltimore to dedicate an additional blocker and him being an additional pass rusher and everything. So you still saw that really work in his benefit. Uh, you saw him with one missed tackle, but you also saw him make a couple of plays as well, including a very, very good play to where he sniffed out a, a pass that went to the outside. And then you also saw him targeted five times in this game. He allowed four catches, but only 23 yards and forced an incompletion with a pass breakup as well. So a nice day for Caden Ellis, who also had a really nice day on special teams. And finally, just a quick question. Was there any player out there hitting harder than both Eric Burrell and Chase Hansen? Both of these guys were making sure that you knew that you were hit by one of them. Chase Hansen had a couple of nice plays. One of them was a tackle he actually missed as a quarterback was going out of bounds, but he almost had his own Zach Bond either get in, either stay in or get out type of a situation. 
But Eric Burrell came down and crashed down on a couple of players for some big hits. And we, you know, look, it's the preseason. And so these guys want to make sure that they're memorable. And if you're making good form tackles and you're making, you know, these big tackles and big plays, definitely a way to make sure that you're standing out to your defensive coordinator. All right, y'all coming up next, we're going to take a look at the cuts that have already been made by the New Orleans Saints. We know that they have to cut five before Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Looks like they've already made those cuts and a few of them we know. So I'll update you on those names and we'll take a quick look at the NFL Network's top 100, a New Orleans Saint that should have made this list a long time ago, finally making it for the first time. We've got all that coming up for you as you wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints. And as always, today's episode is brought to you in part by our good friends over at BuiltBar.com. You can check out all their other products at Built.com, but I highly recommend these protein bars. They taste like candy bars. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They have incredible flavors, but you're not overloading yourself with sugar. You're talking four or five grams of sugar, four or five grams of net carbs, calories running only 130 to 180 on these bars, despite the fact that you're getting 17, 18 grams of protein and like thousands of grams of deliciousness, because this stuff is incredible. These flavors are remarkable. You have nine total flavors you can choose from. You can go and get a sample box so that you can get two of each of those flavors and try everything. So go and check them out. Grab yourself a box of Built Bars. Try them for yourself. Don't just take my word for it and use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off. That's 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. And of course, our good friends over at RockAuto.com are also always looking out for you. Whatever it is that you need, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional, when it comes to your auto parts needs, Rock Auto has you covered like no one else does. Just the other day, we were looking for, for my fiance's car, some of the clips to make sure that your bumper stays on because a couple of them broke. Well, able to find them on rockauto.com, no problem, and caught them mad cheap as well. It cost me a couple of bucks, essentially, to get them on their way. Didn't even have to leave the crib to get it done. So I love rockauto.com. I'm always going there to make sure anything that we need for our cars here at home we're getting it taken care of with Rock Auto, especially stuff that we can just do on our own or look up a YouTube video to do anyway. I'm not going to go pay somebody hundreds of dollars, in some cases, thousands of dollars to do it if I can do it myself. Bump all that. I've got rockauto.com. I'll be fine. So you should go and check out Rock Auto because you've got rockauto.com as well, and you'll be fine. Don't forget to let them know that we sent you by writing a locked on in the How'd You Hear About Us section at checkout. Once again, that's Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliable low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Get it, Huda Nation, wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints with a quick look at two new pieces of information that we got over the course of the last 24 hours. New Orleans Saints have until Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time to cut down to 85. It looks like they've already made those cuts. Out of the five cuts that they've made, we already know three of them, according to sources and as being reported by Nick Underhill over at NewOrleans.Football. We're also going to take a look at the NFL Top 100 so far and talk about the Saints that have made that list. So to start us off, let's talk a little bit about these cuts, though. So we know that this is a new cut structure for the NFL. You have to cut down uh, cut down five players after the first week, five more players after the second week, and then after the third week of the preseason, then you'll see them go from 80 to 53 as opposed to 90 to 53, which we've seen over the most recent years. So with this being the case, the New Orleans Saints have moved on from three players, Noah Spence that we know for sure, uh, Prince of Mukamara that we know for sure, as well as Stevie Scott that we know for sure. So those are the three that we've heard so far. 
We know that there are two more that have been cut. There were a lot of players that weren't present at practice. Some of those players could be the ones that were moved on from. We'll find out as things continue on. But Stevie Scott, no big surprise, especially after the performance that's, uh, that Tony Jones Jr. had. Stevie Scott didn't even get out on the field. New Orleans Saints have a bit of a stable at running backs right now because you've got, of course, Alvin Kamara, who I don't think you're going to see during the preseason. Then you've also got Latavius Murray, Devonta Freeman, Dwayne Washington, and Tony Jones Jr. And Ty Montgomery could potentially take snaps there if you need him to. But even without Ty Montgomery, you've got five running backs on this roster. Just essentially more than is necessary to have a sixth guy that's not going to get any snaps. So Stevie Scott has been moved on from at this time. It didn't feel like Stevie Scott was going to be somebody that was going to make the roster. He's not a very explosive player. He's a little bit more of a gap runner as opposed to a zone runner uh, or a little bit of a straight up runner as opposed to a zone run type scheme. So I just don't know that he was really going to be the big fit. And he's not a very explosive guy either, as I talked about right after they signed him, only thir- only two plays of over 35 plus yards during his collegiate years. And that's in college. Like Big runs happen all the time in college. You just didn't see those from Stevie Scott. So unfortunately, he now gets an opportunity. Unfortunately, he's no longer with the Saints, but he now potentially gets an opportunity to land elsewhere. Another veteran that gets the opportunity to land elsewhere now is Prince Mukamara, who the New Orleans Saints moved on from. He just struggled uh, quite a bit with the New Orleans Saints. He struggled during camp. He struggled during the preseason game. And the New Orleans Saints clearly saw it and clearly liked the talent that they're developing at the cornerback position with some of the younger guys, and then so decided to move on from Prince of Mucamera. Not a very big surprise there. And then finally, Noah Spence. Noah Spence kind of surprised me because during training camp, he got a lot of opportunities. He played on uh, some of the core special teams units in Saturday's game. Didn't perform super well on special teams, and perhaps that's what ended up leading to the cut. But for the New Orleans Saints, they just often don't have those speed edge rushers. That's not a prototype for them. The only speed edge rusher that they have on the uh, on, on the roster that's not Noah Spence is Zach Bond, and they moved him to off-ball linebacker. And as we discovered on the unofficial depth chart breakdown, they were actually listing Noah Spence as a Sam linebacker as opposed to as an edge rusher. He just doesn't fit the plan in terms of what it is at the New Orleans Saints, or the prototype, rather, as to what it is the New Orleans Saints like at that edge rusher position, which is long, tall, strong. That's what they really like there. All right. So the NFL Network has released the first like 60 players of their top 100. They really went for it. Uh, They released a bunch of them on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon following the morning preseason game. So for the New Orleans Saints, you've already seen some players named there. Real quick, let's recap who is there in 2020. You saw Ryan Ramchek at number 82, Marshawn Lattimore at 76 with Demario Davis at 67. You saw Alvin Kamara at 42, Cam Jordan at 23. Drew Brees at 12, Michael Thomas at five. So you saw seven different players in the top 100 from the New Orleans Saints in 2020. Now in 2021, the New Orleans Saints already taken their claim for having amongst the most players named on this list, because there's already five in the top 60 with two notable Saints not yet named. So they could turn around and have seven players named here yet again, even after the loss of Drew Brees. So, so far on the list this year, you have at number 86, Marshawn Lattimore, his third time making the list. At number 79, Teron Armstead, interestingly enough, the first time that he has ever made this list, which if you just laughed, you should have because it's kind of ridiculous. He's been top two or three at his position at a viable premier position as well in terms of, or a very important premier position in terms of the NFL as well. And there's no reason this should be the first time that he's making the list, but alas, it is. But at least 
he made it. So here he is at number 79. At number 72 was Michael Thomas, takes quite the tumble from number five, but understandably, he had a lot of injury issues last year. He's going to miss most of the, or not most, he's going to miss some of the season here in 2021, and then a lot of sort of negative everything around him over the course of the offseason. But regardless, it's undeniable that he is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL when he's on the field. That's why he still makes this list. A reminder that he actually ended up catching his 500th career pass in just his 69th game, which was 11 games faster than Anquan Bolden did it with 80. And he did it faster than some of the biggest names at the wide receiver position in NFL history, including one Jerry Rice. Next up at number 64 was Demario Davis. He's up a little bit higher than he was last year. He was at 67 last year. And maybe some folks will say this is too low for Demario Davis. I certainly think so. But for Demario Davis, he is probably just excited that he even gets the opportunity to make the list. Obviously, always a very humble humble and grateful person. You can check out more on that over on Canal Street Chronicles, a piece that I did around his selection. And then at number 46 comes Cam Jordan with the quote, he can do everything and ain't that just about the truth. Uh, remaining not named on the list so far, Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchek. Wouldn't be surprised to see them here as the top 40 starts to get announced. All right, y'all, we covered a ton in today's episode, and we're not even done talking about the first preseason game yet. I know, it's wild. Tuesday is Analytics Tuesday, so we're going to break it down, talk a little bit more about what happened and why with the numbers and with some help of some of the best analytics metrics out there to help tell all of that story. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be joined by John Sigler of Saints Wire to talk a little bit more about these cutdowns. And we'll continue on getting you ready for the Jaguars game Thursday and Friday leading up to the game on Saturday. So much more programming here for you across Locked on Saints. Appreciate you being here. And as always, for everything in between all that, you can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how your mom and them can trust you that nation. I'll holla at you.